Blog Talk Radio. This is BC Radio Live with Philip and Eric. Live online at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio. Aloha. Tonight on BC Radio Live, you're going to hear from James Donovan, author of Terrible Force. We will also talk with songwriter Graham Reynolds about his new musical score, Pulse and Color. Before that, we will speak to Matthew McDonald, author of Your Brain, The Missing Man. Chat room is now open at blogtalkradio.com slash radio, and the live field is now running. I am Philip Wynn, button pusher for BC Radio Live and chief geek at BC Magazine, and I'm joined tonight by Eric Olson and Lisa McKay. Eric is BC Magazine's founder and publisher, and Lisa is BC Magazine's executive editor. Hello. Hello. Hola. Well, it's good to have you both. Sure, Lisa. Show. Hey, hey, guys. I'm, in fact, getting a call. So, being that we've learned the hard way about these things, I better take that. So, why, why don't you guys chat for a moment or two? Okay, I'll, I'll be right back. I'll be right back. <laughs> I love how that works. Well, I suspect it's coming from the eight one area code, and that we'll hear uh, we'll hear back from that in a minute. We were just uh, chatting before the show, Lisa, about the fact that you finally have your iPhone. Yes. How- how many weeks have we uh, checked in to see, oh, is the iPhone coming? Oh, the iPhone's been ordered. Oh, it's, and it's finally here. You and, finally and here it is. You're, you're talking on it right now, right? I am. Do I sound cooler and hipper? You do. You sound, I, I don't know, a, a couple of years younger, way, way more cool. Yeah, I mean, just, I, I've got this whole, this whole iPhone vibe going. Seriously, <laughs> I love the phone. <laughs> It's, was it everything you hoped it could be and more? It's actually more. I mean, I'm sort of mildly interested in the fact that it makes phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I keep downloading new time-wasting games for it, so I, I haven't made so many phone calls lately. <sighs> are you guys talking yeah. about your damn iPhones again? <laughs> yeah, we, we are. are. The damn iPhones are wonderful. God. Well, uh, I I see from the switchboard that we should probably uh, move on. We do have uh, four guests tonight, so we should probably uh, jump right into things. It's Keaton. I was correct. He had had called before the show, and so I guess we we hadn't answered, so he was confused. Well, let's jump right to it. Uh, This is BC Radio Live, live every week at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio, co-hosting with Eric and Lisa. I'm Philip. Our first guest, Keaton Simons, is a uh, singer, songwriter, instrumentalist, and let's start with a sample from his debut album. I don't leave cause I'm afraid to be alone, but it doesn't even matter now you're gone, but on the outside I seem fine, when you look into my eyes, baby you're bound to Your skin, I'll make it. Ooh, 
Well, that was a sample of Without Your Skin from Keaton Simons from his debut album, Can You Hear Me? His website is KeatonSimons.com. Welcome to BC Radio Live, Keaton. Hey, how you doing? Excellent. Keaton, long time no speak, man. Yeah, I was going to say, I missed you desperately. Yeah, me too. How are you? I'm great, man. I'm great sitting in a hotel in uh, in Boston. So what's going on there besides uh, the, uh, the the Red Sox being in second place? Ha ha. <laughs> well, um, nothing. I played a I played an in store at Borders today. This really cool Borders that's like converted from an old bank, and the one of the back rooms, the uh, the door to it is a giant like vault door. I'm oh, loving wow. it. Three feet oh, thick nice. metal and all these moving parts. It was crazy. There are a few things cooler than a converted bank. There's a restaurant here that's a converted bank, and and, and if you. you if you tip the guy at the door enough, you get to eat in the vault. <laughs> that's crazy. That's well, you, you know you converted vaults and I mean converted banks and converted firehouses make really good uh, alternate establishments. Good point. Good point. With, with or without Dalmatian. <laughs> That's because of the poll. Yeah, well, before yeah. before you came on, actually before we were on the air, all three of us were saying, "Wow, we can't believe we didn't know this guy. What a great album is! Yeah, well, How thanks. can you hear me? Did you just emerge out of the you know like La Brea tar pits? But no, you've been around for a while. That's right. Well, it's, it's amazing how how much one can do and still not reach everybody. You know, I mean, it's pretty hilarious. It is bizarre. It really, it, you know, we we find that kind of just over the course of doing these interviews, we've been we've been on for well, I guess this year. It's been it's been this year, and you know, there's a lot of people. Uh, it, almost no one just kind of appears, right? Everyone's got some oh, kind no, of background yeah. and and do this and do that, and then you hear about it and you go, oh yeah, oh yeah, and oh yeah, and I mean, I've heard of everyone in your family, you know. And, oh, yeah, and, I couldn't be a bigger Animal House fan, so as soon I was reading the, the L.A. Times bio on you story. Oh, yeah. And, and there's your I'm mother. I'm picturing her right in Animal House. Of course. I'm I'm technically the youngest cast member. I was a fetus. I I saw that. It's hilarious. I can't believe she was pregnant in the oh, movie. Yeah. That's hysterical. Yeah. So anyway, why don't you give us a little bit of background on, on how you got to be where you are with really your first kind of major label I guess are are they calling the the reinvigorated CBS a major label? I, you know, some people it's hilarious because some people are calling it a major label. I'm not because it's 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 technically not a major label, and I'm kind of OCD, so it's like hard for me to do that. But um, no, I mean a lot of people like there are some people on who are signed to CBS who like on their MySpace it says CBS Records major, <laughs> but on mine it says CBS Records indie because. Um, Technically, the definition of a major label is if it is a subsidiary of one of the majors, like Warner Brothers, Universal, etc. And CBS is not; it's a subsidiary directly of the network, the television network CBS. So it's it's equally badass, but not <laughs> technically a major label, right? Exactly, precisely. So it's it's not you know major is a, when somebody says major label, it actually refers to something specific. But it's like it's a major label, but it's not a major label. You know what I'm saying? Got it. Capital versus small M, I'm guessing, is, is what that difference is. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, casual versus... Well, yeah, because uh, when I saw it, I was kind of confused when I saw the CBS because I was thinking, well, that's not Sony, is it? Because, you know, in the old days, right. CBS was was Columbia and 
and then that was all acquired by by Sony. So this is starting over again, and this is actually owned by by the TV, by which the is ultimately network. owned by uh, uh, who's his face? Yeah, Viacom, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, yes, it's it's uh, you know it's a tangled web. In theory, then you're getting kind of the best of both worlds. It sounds like you've had you know pretty personal attention, like from the the guy running the label and all that yep. kind of stuff. And, Larry uh, Jenkins he, is my favorite, one of my favorite people I've met in the, in the music industry. Well, he seems to be a very big fan of yours, so that that's a good guy to have on your side. Again, I I, I interrupted myself as I so yeah. often do. Why don't you just give us a little bit of your background? You were you yeah. were into music really very early on, but then you've Kind of had a winding path since then, right? Absolutely. Well, yeah. I mean, I've I've always been very connected with music. I've been singing since I was born, and I've been, you know, playing uh, piano and and other instruments since I was very young. Uh, and I, you know, by the time I was fourteen or fifteen, I knew for sure that this is what I wanted to do for you know for the rest of my life. And um, and I've been doing it steadily since then. You know, I mean, I've I've played in other bands for a long time. I was uh, more or less a session guitar player, uh, but mostly like for live performance. And I ended up musical directing for a bunch of hip hop bands around Los Angeles, um, uh, including the doing I did a Tonight Show appearance with Snoop Dogg. <laughs> what a strange so, world we live in, you know? Yeah. So I mean, I've done like, you know, so much of that stuff and then I, I started putting my own project together. I ended up getting signed to a, a label called Maverick that's that was a subsidiary of Warner Brothers which no longer exists. Sure, and, the Madonna um, label. Exactly. And what happened with me is what happens with, with a lot of artists. You know, uh, I was on a label, I made a record, the record never came out, the label folded, and I'm, you know, left with no record and no label, you know? Yeah, um, that that happens a shockingly high percentage of the time. Oh, absolutely. I did I did release uh, like a five song EP on that on that label and um that got, you know, some really good attention and uh you know, got some radio love and some video love and all that kind of stuff. Um but again, like it's it's one of those things, you know, you can do so much but if it's not if it's not connected, if it's not interwoven properly, then it just, you know, it only gets to certain places. Yeah, even even today, you know, with the industry changing so dramatically due to the internet and uh, and digital music, and and certainly hasn't you know kind of found its new place yet. But you know, even today, it really does seem to be the case that you know, other than a handful of exceptions that 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 find a uh, you know more or less independent path via the internet or or right. you know some combination. But I mean, it really does still even now take. Kind of that uh, a critical mass that you know that the labels still even this moment seem to be best at at pulling together you know and because they they have all the connections and they know what needs to be done and you know until we get to that next stage right, right now it's like you know all all the balls all the juggled balls are up in the air we don't really know where they're going to come down it's a really fluid and strange period but. But you know, I I I know what you mean, and I agree with you. You know, unless the labels are behind you and everything kind of comes together, because often it, when everything comes together, it still doesn't work. Oh, People absolutely. think there's some guarantee. There's no guarantee. Not at all. I mean, there's there is no guarantee. There's no determining what you know 
what's going to take off and what's not. And, and, um, I mean, that's why for me, you know, I just, I just keep a center and a focus on music and on my love of music. I mean, I'm out there and I know, I know the business and I'm, and I, you know, uh, I, I get involved and I know about everything that's going on every step of the way. I keep, you know, I, uh, I'm the overseer, the great overseer, but, um, but at the same time, my, my main focus in my heart is just in music and how much I love music because, you know, it's things happen, things come and go, up and down, all that kind of stuff, and, uh, and, but that never changes. Well, as, as, as has been said, in, in your case it's really true, and, and I want to bring Philip and Lisa in here because they are really, really big fans. They were just going on and cool. on about how much they love the CD. But, I mean, you really are a triple threat. threat. You are, you're a really varied and, and very fine Interesting, clever songwriter. Uh, I, I, the guitar work really impresses me because it's not just one style. You're all over the place from kind of light, jazzy, uh, acoustic to, to really pretty heavy kind of blues rock and everything in between. And interesting soloing as well as, as, as uh, accompanying yourself really well. And, uh, and you're a great singer. You know, you got a really powerful, uh, you know, distinctive, but, but in a style that's, that's, uh, that's popular, you know. You have kind of a gritty feel uh, to it, yet yet quite melodic. So, uh, Philip and Lisa, why don't you interact and uh, give some commentary here on the on the music? <laughs> interact, interact with me. Interact with the dude, this man. Show, we've been doing this show since last November, so we've we've yeah. been at it, you know, a, a bunch of weeks. And every week we've got one, sometimes two, sometimes three musical guests on. And uh, I, ha- I have to say, so far, I think this is easily the most pleasant surprise I've had when I, when I get the uh, promo singles. Um, oh, thank I, I'm you. really, really impressed with this album. It, it's right up my alley in a way that most of the artists we feature on here often aren't. <laughs> well, thank you so much, man. That's, that's exactly, uh, I mean, I poured my heart and soul into this album, and it's, uh, it's, it's kind of got it's got a little of everything from me. It's really kind of a chronicle of my my songwriting lifetime, you know, because it's because uh, you know it's part of the thing about making a record on another label and then having an interim period before you know like making a record it's not coming out and then having an interim period um, and then and then having the next one is that. I've written tons and tons of songs since then, but I've been able to kind of pick and choose. And so for this record, I have songs that. Like currently, that's one of the first songs I wrote, and then uh, like "Good Things Get Better" is a song that was written I don't know six, seven, eight months ago, something like that. You know, well, so let's, it's, uh, it's, uh, let's actually jump into that. We've had uh, actually we're we're about out of time, and our next guest has uh, okay. called in twice and hung up twice. Uh-oh. Uh oh. <laughs> so uh, we better uh, we better uh, get to him, but I, I do want to play another sample from the album, and I, and I did grab about a minute or so of "Good Things Get Better." Which, cool. Uh, is, a simply fantastic song. So uh, thank you so here, much. Here's another song. When you're not home, I'm so alone. Soon you'll be here. Open up the door, come and lend me your ear Cause good things get better, I know they do Yeah they do, I know they do 
good friends get better for me and you. And that's true. You know it's true. I like your style. Well, that was uh, Good Things Get Better, one of the 11 songs on Can You Hear Me by Keaton Simons. He's the singer, songwriter, uh, least guitarist. Uh, is it multi-instrumentalist or guitarist on this album, Keaton? Um, I have played mostly guitar. I am a multi-instrumentalist. I played dozens of instruments, but I uh, played mostly guitar on this record. Very good. Well, the website is KeatonSimons.com. That's K-E-A-T-O-N-S-I-M-O-N-S.com. And you can hear samples from the whole album, buy the album, highly recommended, uh, or check out his tour schedule there. He's actually on tour right now. He'll be in, uh, I think it was Alston, Massachusetts tomorrow, then down in New York. Uh, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Virginia. So um, you can uh, get that information from the website, KeatonSimons.com. Thank you very much for uh, being patient and calling back tonight, Keaton. Thank you so much, guys. It was an absolute pleasure. Uh, Anytime, let me know. Thanks, Keaton. Great stuff. Nice talking to you. Thanks, man. Nice talking. Well, we did, uh, we did actually have our, uh, our next guest, I think, showed up on the switchboard twice and disappeared again, part of our uh, technical challenge of not being able to answer the phone when it, uh, when it rings, but hoping that people can hang on until their, their segment comes through. Uh, so now we end up uh, with, with no next guest on the line. We can go back to talking about our damn iPhones, if you like, Eric. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know what? I we we keep saying we're going to do this. I think we really do need to put in a formal proposal to our to our buds at uh at Block Talk Radio, Radio that that there does need to be a a better system of of a, of warning people of when they call in, letting them know what's going on and the fact that, you know, a recording should tell them that that your phone your your call has been answered, you're on the switchboard. The show is, is is on the air live, and we will be speaking to you shortly. Because uh, you know it just happens way too often that people are confused; yep. they don't know what's going on. They yep. <laughs> my my favorite response ever was, <laughs> "Well, of course I hung up. It sounded like I'd called into a radio show." <laughs> well, yeah, you did. You know, uh, <laughs> you you did. So anyway, uh, yeah, that's that that, a general idea. Yeah. It, it, it's I, an issue. I, I did think of a way that we can possibly set up a workaround involving having a separate phone number, but it involves uh, either one of us or, or tapping a fourth person to kind of answer the phone, manage things, and and be able to transfer calls, which is always a which is always a tricky thing. So yeah, I think we, we just need a recording. I think that. it's all it comes down to. We just you know right now it it says blog talk radio. That's what you hear. That's all you hear. And I think we need, uh, you know, an extended version of that initial uh, answering of the phone recording that lets people know what's going on. You know, I, for most shows, I mean, tell you what, Eric, we we actually have a caller on the phone right now. So let's good. Uh, let's find out who, who this is. It's not the person who was calling earlier, but let's see what we can do. Hey, caller from two five six, you're on the air. Have you really not memorized my phone number yet? I haven't, but it's good to hear from you, sir. There was an (laughs) opening, and I figured you guys would totally want to talk about my Bruce Springsteen trip to Nashville tomorrow or or about my iPhone. We can do both. Indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Josh Hathaway, a.k.a. DJ Radiohead. 
well-known uh, pal of uh, blogcritics.org and uh, fellow co-host. In fact, your show will be tomorrow night at, is it 10 p.m. Eastern? Well, it would be. We're taking a hiatus because um, oh. they they, oh. they the um, the Summit Center and the E Street Band has not signed off on doing live streaming of the show over my iPhone. <laughs> I thought I gotcha, gotcha, was going right. to go for it, but he he just said no. That that's 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 a no go. Josh, how are you? I'm doing well, EO. How are you tonight, sir? Oh, I'm I'm pretty good. As I'm sure you've picked up intimations of, we've we've been under a fair amount of stress lately. <laughs> And yeah. <laughs> that appears to be – it appears to finally the, – the, the sun will finally be coming up over the, the craggly, brushy, thorny trees uh, in the next day or so. So that will be a fine thing indeed. Now, the Springsteen yeah, thing, as I understand it – I'm the particulars when that um, comes to fruition, as it were. Oh, yes. You, you, will, you, will, be, you will be among the first. To, to, to hear. As well I should, to be perfectly honest with you. As well you should, absolutely. Although if it happens tomorrow, I guess you know you'll be uh, you'll be spring singing, spring singing. I've got iPhone. I'll, I'll you know as long as it doesn't happen at, at about say eight o'clock when when the lights go down, um, I'll, I'll have the iPhone on me. Now, now remind Actually, me, this Josh. is kind of cool. In, in sort of just the small world of it all, it looks like I'm going to be meeting up with our former Chinese correspondent, Matt Brewster, is going to be at the show and is going to be um, um, tuning in. He and his wife just got back from China, and we're going to try and meet up beforehand and get something to eat. So it's all about the BC universe, even at Springsteen. You mean the guy's been in China for a flipping year, and he didn't bother to go to the Olympics? <laughs> I don't think that they had a say in when their year started and ended. Um, of course, they were in Shanghai, not Beijing, but I, I don't know that that was a matter of choice on their part. It may have been, um, you know. The, Josh, you know what that's like saying? Nilly. That's like saying he's in Cincinnati, not Cleveland. Okay. I mean, Forgive come me for on. not knowing my Chinese um, geography, <laughs> yeah. but I do know my Chinese government. And um, here, if you want to go from Cleveland to Cincinnati, you just get in the car. I, I understand it can be a little bit more um, – uh, there are a few more questions asked in other places in this, um, in, in this big globe of ours. But anyway, um, yeah, not at the Olympics, although um, – I think he said he was watching the opening ceremonies from British Columbia um, on their way back um, around the world. So there you have it. Huh. Interesting. Well, yeah. uh, all right. So as I understand it, this is your first Springsteen concert. Is that true? No, this is my wife's first. I went to my first one oh. back in April. Okay. And, um this date was only just recently added, and we jumped on it. So I got to see it for the first time in, in April, and now um, my wife Ashley will be seeing him for the first time um, tomorrow night. So it's your second? It's my second, yes. Okay. Now, okay. Lisa, how many times have you seen The Boss? Um, not as many as you might think. The, the show I went to a couple of weeks ago was just my, my fourth E Street Band show, and I saw him once on the Devils and Dust tour and once on the Seeger Sessions tour. 
There you so go. you've got a total of six Bruce shows, four E Street and, shows. And I gotta say, I just I just have to say because I know this will just like irritate the hell out of Josh, which is why I'm it. <laughs> which is everybody's favorite game. So um, it's for, a game that my family can play. For my four E Street shows, I was in the pit every single time. <sighs> I actually could have gotten GA tickets pretty easily. The Nashville tickets. Just like my understanding from some of the um, serious Springsteen um, concert attending veterans um, at the the reunion tour back in 2000, Nashville did not sell real briskly, but they've come back, which naturally thrills me. But um, I couldn't bought the GA and gone for the pit. Um, my wife wasn't particularly interested in that, so we've got lowers this time. We'll be a good bit closer than I was in April in Atlanta, so I'm I'm still extremely well, you know, if, excited if, about this. If that's all you could do, Josh, then that's all you could do. Uh, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, what it means, though, is that the 13 signs I was going to make, um, <laughs> calling out requests, because for the first time, I think, maybe ever, you know, he hasn't always responded to um, the kvetching of the crowd, um, and taken signs, but this tour he has, and so weird, weird things have been getting played on this tour, and in particular as of late, and so I was going to make a bunch, but we'll be close, but only Clarence will be able to read our signs, and I don't think he cares, so I don't think he's going to go <laughs> over and, and tell Bruce to, to pick one of ours, although Bruce would do it. Everybody else in the band I don't think would get a vote, but I think Clarence or Patty could get him to change a song. What's on your sign, Josh? Oh, God. Well, um, as I do just the most shameless self-promotion in history, I've actually been counting down on confessionsofafanboy.com, which is one of the uh, BC network sites. I've been counting down the 20 songs that I've never heard before. In other words, nothing that I got to hear in Atlanta that I would most like to hear. And I've been doing one a day and – We'll get to number one tomorrow. Um, today's is probably – there's probably only one song less likely to be played than my number two, and that's The Price You Pay, which he hasn't played since the River Tour in 80. Across the Border might get played at some of the solo Bruce shows, but it's not coming out tomorrow no matter how much I want it to. Or Thundercrack. Or Cadillac uh, Thundercrack Rant. actually got played several times – Early in the tour back in 07, that's in my top five. Um, mm-hmm. And then he played it once or twice in Europe and, and has stopped playing it. But um, Mark Seleski was at the tour opener last year in Hartford, and he got to hear Thundercrack. Mark Seleski, of course, is another uh, BC Magazine writer, and he also contributes, I think, to Confessions of a Fanboy, right? He's he's done some guest work there, and of course, the Friday morning listen is one of the staples. Right. It's a four-year series at um, at Blog Critics, one of our one of our absolute best. And uh, yeah, he got to hear Thundercrack, but but I never have. I think it's I, I like, like Mark, one of the rubber bands. <laughs> I, I like Mark because he appreciates uh, John Mayer. <laughs> well, did you read what Don wrote about John Mayer yesterday? People. 
Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't appreciate him as a person. I appreciate him as a musician, which just makes Josh even more upset. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to chime yeah. in here. I, I, I can't yeah. count exactly, but I think I've been to about ten shows. <laughs> nice. Uh, because, I, I'm, I'm I mean, I'm up. just guessing. I, I don't really remember, honestly. I, I was at, probably at about seven or so in the, in, the, um, in the 70s, and I can think of three since. So, so that's it. Became much less dense as time went on. Yes. <laughs> and the last one was the uh, last one was right before Lily was born, because Don was big as a freaking house, and she just she said we had to we we had a wheelbarrow and we we're rolling down the aisle. Fortunately, we had we had close we had nice seats. We had front row. Uh, on on the let's see stage uh, stage right and uh, far enough back that we could see everything but we were quite close but we got those tickets from Chuck Plotkin because that's how cool we are. <laughs> nice, Chuck Plotkin comping you the seats. Yeah, because he was he was on he was with him on the tour. Uh, I forget why, and we had only fairly recently interviewed him. For the Encyclopedia of Record Producers. So, yeah, that, that was 99. It was either, yeah, it had to be 99. Yep. So it's already been, you know, almost 10 years again. I, I feel like plugging something of mine now. I, I feel left out, but I, I, I don't have anything to plug. Go. Well, have you seen Bruce live? No, I haven't. See, I just, I'm completely left out here. Josh has waltzed in and turned this into, uh, you know, Confessions of a Fanboy uh, radio show for, for the last 15 minutes. And I don't even have anything to plug in response. Well, that's because you listen to John Mayer repent, oh. and you too can plug. Oh, there you go. Well, From the sackcloth and the ash, that's very important. Go outside, spin three times and spit, and, and then you can come back on the show and, and plug with us. Ah, <laughs> oh, so sad. What, what so I sad. want to say, as a, as a relatively neutral party, what, what I want to interject here is, that you know, even if you're not a huge fan of of the Springsteen records, and I, there's not really any one uh, that I adore, uh, of, for, you know, after uh, after uh, after about the mid '80s, and uh, but 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 that doesn't mean there aren't things that I like, and and I like actually some of the recent ones more than than anything else. Uh, in in between. Anyway, what I was going to say is, it doesn't even matter how you feel about him sure. on record, uh, because they're still, or at least as of when I last saw him in in '99, and it had it had been quite a while, you know, in between shows then, probably nearly ten years at that point, uh, and, and and I was absolutely as blown away in '99 as I had been. You know, probably any other show back to the first couple, where it was just still so new and so crazy, and and you know, there's something about the first few that sure. remains indelible. But anyway, it's such a tremendous live show, and both musically, although by the time the band has like 97 people in it, 40 of whom play <laughs> guitar, that's probably but it's the E F and G Street Band. Yeah, they just keep they just keep bloating that thing up, you know. It's like 
Bruce just keeps bringing everyone along. Okay, if I'm married to you, you're in the band. You know, if I ever said hello to you, if I gave you a dime, you're in the band. All right, come along. All right, well, come I'll tell along. you what, I, I hate to cut off all Here's of this. Here's a guitar. Have a guitar. Strap it on. All of this wonderful reminiscing. And uh, Josh, do, I do thank you. Thank you for calling in and chatting with us, giving an update. Now get lost. <laughs> Dude, I'm, so, I'm, I'm going to scram now. Yes, please do scram, and uh, normally, not tomorrow night, but normally tune in on Thursday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern uh, to hear his show, the B-Sides Concept Album Broadcast. Have fun at the show and, and drive safely. Will do. You guys will read all about it on uh, at, at Blog Critics and on Confessions of a Fanboy. Have a good rest of the show. I'll, be, um, I'll go back to listener mode. Good night, guys. <laughs> See you, Josh. Well, you are listening to BC Radio Live, a weekly live radio show from BC Magazine at blogcritics.org. I'm your announcer, Philip, and my co-hosts tonight are Lisa and Eric. Graham Reynolds, <coughs> sorry, Graham Reynolds has composed a film score before for A Scanner Darkly, which I quite enjoyed, uh, but his latest album is actually a score for a ballet. Here is a bit of a sample of A World Without Color. Without Color from the album Cult of Color, soundtrack to the ballet of the same name, but probably not like uh, any ballet you might have been thinking of. Uh, Graham Reynolds' website is grahamreynolds.com, and welcome to BC Radio Live, Graham. How's it going? It's going pretty well. Now, you're, um, this, is, uh, this is an online radio show, so I, I should interject and say that you're actually calling from pretty close to my neighborhood. I see you're calling from Austin. And, I'm calling uh, from Austin, I'm, Texas. I'm broadcasting from Dallas, Texas, uh, although we do have some uh, Connecticuters and Ohioers on the phone as well. Uh-huh. I'm, uh, I actually grew up in Connecticut. so. Oh, well, there you go. Lisa, from your neck of the woods, too. Yes, That's right. Thank you. Graham, hi. It's Eric Olson. How are you? I, I Good, how are love, you? I'm, I'm tremendous. I really love uh, this CD. I honestly, I did not, you know, I, I had no sense of, of where you were musically before I listened to it. <laughs> And it, it's it's really tremendous. It reminds me of some of my favorite, and I, and I don't mean reminds me derivatively or or, or you know copying. Sure, it's sure. Just merely reminisce. Like Residence, later Tom Waits, uh, even you know Bertold uh, Brecht. I mean you know some really tremendous input. You know I, I imagine the more shallow people may hear some Danny Elfman, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. No, I'm really glad you like it. Yeah, I mean it's really tremendous and it's it's very it's it's really all over the place. You know, I I, I love I love a soundtrack type environment anyway. I've, as I've gotten older, I, I've kind of got more into the the ambient side of things, and I'm not using ambient so much as in you know quiet, uh, so much as environmental, and uh, yeah. and it really creates a sonic atmosphere. I can I can just visual you know I haven't seen the ballet, but just reading along with the um, 
you know, in the package, reading along the descriptions of the scenes, it's it's extremely evocative. And yeah, I mean, it's I love the instrumentation. I like the way you use. You seemed on this one. I, I you can tell me if that's norm for you. You use the the uh, either the you know the vibes or or kalimba or something similar uh, as, as a lead instrument fairly often. I love the cool tonalities of that. Oh, good. Yeah, we we use both vibes and kalimba. Uh, kalimba was first, and I. Um, that I've used at Vibes, we've used quite a bit on a bunch of albums, uh, including Scanner Darkly and other things. But the kalimba, we, we got a, a tongue drum, which is one of those African, it's like a marimba, that, but they can they carve it and uh, sort of, uh, and it's got six tongues. And we had one of those made for this piece, and then I ordered a kalimba for this piece and then tuned them all to the same scale so that we sort of had a, specific sonic world for the piece. How do you tune those? Uh, well, the tongue drum was carved, like, there's this guy, and I wish I could remember his website, but uh, he, if you look, if you Google tongue drums, you'll find them, but he'll, he'll make them at a pretty reasonable price by hand uh, to order. So you can say, I want a, a G minor harmonic scale, with this many notes, and he'll make the he'll carve the tongue drum, drum drum specifically to that order. The, the kalimba, on the other hand, uh, the tines come and they're held at the top, and you can push and pull them sort of gently, and and you you shorten or lengthen the the tines and tune it yourself that way. Oh, I see. That's interesting. I remember the first time I saw anyone play the kalimba, it was Taj Mahal. And it was on TV, and this is, I'm, you know, I'm talking like you know, 35 years ago or something. And I, I right. what the hell is he doing? You know, he looks yeah. like he's plucking on some little box. You know, what, what is that thing? Yeah, it's but pretty it, amazing. It, it really is an interesting, evocative kind of sound. Why, why don't you tell, uh, for, for the listeners who haven't, who haven't heard it, and, and again, we want everyone to pick this up. I think it's really, really tremendous, really, not, not, not kidding here. Why don't you uh, give them a little bit of background on the, the ballet itself, perhaps the story of it a little bit, and, uh, and then you know, how did you come to uh, do the score on it? Sure. Uh, okay, so it's a ballet Austin production, and they, they've got a new space, where they're they're doing sort of experimental work. They do traditional repertoire, you know, most you know three out of four shows a year, and then once a year they're doing something new, more experimental. So they had hooked up with this artist Trenton Doyle Hancock, who is a painter, multimedia artist, uh, I mean, pretty amazing guy. He was the youngest guy to show at the Whitney Biennial. He's just he's doing really well for himself in the art world, and all his paintings and collages take place in this mythological world he's been creating since he was like seven. You know, he was a comic book geek growing up. He made up a, a comic book character, and then this mythology grew from that. And so he's got this whole extensive cast of characters and this whole extensive backstory. And essentially what this, uh, this ballet was was a, another chapter in that extended arc. Now, we tried to make it self-contained so you didn't have to have that backstory. It only deepened if you did. But that was, that was the palette we were drawing from. And uh, the, this uh, crazy uh, world, these characters called 
vegans and uh, he had lived with Trent had lived with a vegan at some point and didn't really appreciate the experience and so these became <laughs> bad guys. Ironically, I'm a vegan myself, so it was pretty funny. So I was the bad guy in the in the. Well, and, the uh, occasional vegan is somewhat narrow. Yes, yes. Not and you, of course. Not me, of course. Exactly. Um, and so it, it's this struggle between uh, this black and white world, and then uh, this sort of angelic kind of figure comes along and brings color and there's a struggle between the two different color worlds and the color has some sort of drug addictive properties. It's a crazy zany story that's very uh, complex and uh, but uh, but there are these sort of like Casper the Friendly Ghost on massive drugs kind of characters. <laughs> and have you done it live? I, I mean I know it's recorded because you can't re- it, it, you use the studio as, a, as an instrument as well. How, how has it been received when it's been performed? The, the performance went really well. Uh, they, they sold out the entire run, and now they're uh, talking to a couple different cities across the country uh, as far as figuring out where it's going to travel to next. Uh, as far as the score, it was, like you said, it was, we used the studio as a, as an instrument for it, and that was on purpose because we knew both for artistic reasons and practical reasons we wanted the score to be a recorded score. And so I designed it so there's pretty much no way you could perform that score in that form live. So the, the ballet score itself is, uh, is played as a surround sound, actually. We, put up, we added layers of sound effects of the sounds of the battles and this and that and did some pretty heavy surround panning with that. And now there are live versions of the music. We've done a string quartet and piano concert where we did like a 40-minute suite selected from it and adapted, and various other live versions. But as far as accompanying the ballet, it was specifically designed as a surround sound immersion recording experience. Man, I would love to hear that. The 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 CD I have is is just stereo though, right? Right, exactly. So, is it possible to get the 5.1? We have not released the 5.1. It, it, uh, there's a DVD that they're working on, and there's a possibility uh, of making that have a surround sound option. Man, uh, I would so, love that. I mean, because I, I would I think was, that would really add to it uh, as a uh, ambient again, the way I was using it experience. Yeah, it really does, and uh, surround sound is just is a ton of fun to play with. And when you like, when I worked on Scanner, which was the other major project I worked on, which was done in surround, major films are are just, they're pretty mild with the use of surround. You know how you you see the DBX logo and it goes all around, and you really hear hear the surrounds very clearly. But then when the film starts. They don't want you to be drawn out from the screen, and so most of the sounds tend to be centered. And uh, and so with this, we're able to put as much in the back speakers and just make it go pan it around and have it swim around you as much as we wanted. So we went pretty crazy with the surround effects. Yeah, I I I can imagine because it is such a um... I mean, I can picture it as a, such a such an inclusive and an involving experience, and, and I could certainly see you know having the spatial element really making 
a difference. The other thing I wanted to say before I forgot is you really do a fantastic job of of identifying or matching, I suppose, the the tonalities with with color, or at least with the idea of color. Was that something you did on purpose? Did you did you want uh, certain tones to 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 evoke certain colors or at least certain ways of seeing was that, I mean is that something you were consciously thinking about? Yes, that was. Uh, so there were the two basic worlds. There was the black and white world, and then there was the color world. And I try not to be too dogmatic about it or too strict with the rules, but generally chose a palette for each, uh, both in terms of instrumentation, but also in terms of effects. So if the same instrument was played in the color world, it might have reverb and delay and not much else on it, whereas it was played in the black and white world, which is a colder and harsher world in this piece. Then it had distortion. It was really mangled to a much greater degree. And so both the instrument choices and then what we did with them once we had recorded them. The, The treatments, in other words. Yes. Yeah, wow. Well, I'm uh I was talk about an eye opener. Um, you know, I mean, to me this is fits along with the the very best work of like I say like the residents, you know, and and some of the similar themes where they're you know, they they definitely are cinematic in their approach. Are, do, do you have any opinion on them? I mean, is that something that makes sense to you that Oh, comparison? yeah. Another yeah, great and the, the cinematic approach, without being uh, without being tied to leaving a lot of room for the visuals, where ballet and dance in general scoring is, is very friendly to that. Whereas if you're doing film scoring, you don't want to pull the audience's attention away from the actual action on screen too much. So. While the music can be really sophisticated and it can be all sorts of fun things, it can't. It most of the time can't grab too much attention. Whereas with dance, there's no there's no audio element other than the the music. Whereas in a film, you have dialogue and you have to understand that. And so there's no competition on the, in the audio realm when you're scoring for dance. So that that allows the music to be much more heightened. Right, right. I guess if you're close to the stage, you might hear thump, 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 yeah, thump, thump, exactly. You hear the footsteps, exactly. <laughs> wow. Well, gosh, that was a, a quick 15 minutes. Can we play a little more of that, Philip? We do. We actually heard earlier, or we can, I guess I should say, we heard earlier from the uh, beginning of the soundtrack. So I, uh, to, to balance things out, I, I grabbed a sample from near the end of the soundtrack. Uh, so this is a bit of The Triumph of Color.
Sassy, eh? Yeah. <laughs> that could have been a music man almost. I love that. You know, we're having a really interesting uh, situation here where uh, Keaton Simons, who was on the show earlier in this hour, is actually in the chat room talking about how much he enjoys uh, your music, Graham. So oh, cool. it's kind of his degrees in ethnomusicology. So it's uh, quite an interesting discussion and a good reason for people, of course, to tune in live and to uh, visit the chat room during the show. But anyway, that, oh, was, uh, that was The Triumph of Color, the uh, closing track of Cult of Color. From uh, Well, it's called From Graham Reynolds and the Golden Arm Trio, but I hear it's, it's not really a trio. Yeah, we we were a trio for exactly one show. And, that, <laughs> and you all had golden arms. Uh, yeah, no one had golden arms, but uh, that actually came from the Frank Sinatra movie that with the Elmer Bernstein score. But uh, I, I figured I figured there might be a connection there to the to the man yeah, with the golden arm. Exactly, but yeah, the the saxophonist on the first gig got so drunk that he pulled out the same music multiple times and kept trying to play the same song. <laughs> he was going to get it right one of these times. Huh? He was going to get it right eventually, right? Exactly, exactly. We might have been playing a totally different song, but he was going to fix that problem. And uh, But so he, he was no longer our saxophonist by the end of that, and the trio suddenly became a duo, but... We had taken a uh, golden arm duo, sounded a little klutzy, and so finding a name is hard, so we were stuck with it. And then eventually it was just, at this point, the trio is me and whoever plays with me in a in the band-type format. Yeah, well, it could be even kind of a like a like a uh, Hindu mythology thing, and you could have three arms. Yeah, exactly. Something so, along those lines. radio, it's very easy to do that kind of thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 that is, that's for sure. Well, have do we? Uh, can we keep chatting, Philip, or do we have our? Yeah, uh, we can. Yeah, let's let's go ahead and uh, if if uh, Grant can spare the time, we can uh, certainly talk for about another ten minutes. So right. uh, we 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 do not have our final author. We we're that shut out right. author wise tonight. That's right. We uh, we we failed to connect with the first author. Uh, probably my fault. And uh, our second author has just never called. So <laughs> <laughs> these damn authors. I don't know. They're almost like iPhones. <laughs> Apparently not as reliable as musicians. Go figure. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We are putting the lie to to many, many a vile canard. <laughs> All those uh, writers are more used to spending time alone. I think is the deal. Well, Graham, what I'm I'm really interested in hearing how did you get to this point? You know, it's not like someone just all of a sudden has, you know, is, is producing these these amazing, varied, eccentric. You know, soundtracks for ballets and 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 film and whatnot. How did how did you arrive at this point musically, and and career wise too, for that matter? It, it's it's a it's a broad and long question. I'll try to be short. I have sort of three branches of what I do in my career, and there's the band live band thing, which is Golden Arm Trio. We play shows and put out albums and stuff like that. I have the composed music stuff, where I do a concert series with another composer in town, uh, Peter Stupchinsky, and that's us composing sort of non-traditional music, but for classical ensembles, string quartets, orchestras, percussion, stuff like that. And then there's the third branch, which is scoring for other people, whether it's film or dance or a lot of theater as well. And basically I started playing in Austin with, with Golden Arm Trio, and people started asking me to score you know, their student films or their theater piece or, or whatnot. 
And uh, so once I started in that, one thing led to another. And I, now I'm doing films and theater and dance pretty much all the time. I'm working on at least one of those. And uh, uh, Rick Linkletter lives here in town, and he uh, gives he uh, is a patron of one of the theater companies I work for, and as well as um, often came to a film series that I would do house music for. And so he and I got together through those means. Um, and so it's just been one small step after another of doing, you know, a student film and then a low-budget feature film and then uh, and then a full-budget feature film. What was your musical training? What's your background? It sounds like you've never been in rock bands. No, I've been in a million rock bands, uh, but, uh, but I never went to music school. I, I studied piano most of my life growing up until middle of college. And at that point, uh, I, I split time between piano and drums. I'd always wanted to play drums, and at the end of high school, I finally got a drum set. And so I quit the music department at school and started playing in as many bands as I could, learning to play the drums. So I played in metal bands and classic rock bands and just about any band that would take me to play the drums, I played in that kind of band. And then I moved to Austin to try to figure out how to put those things together in one band. Interesting. You know, I, what I was thinking, too, also, as far as the, the range of what you do and and the, 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 the width and breadth, and, you know, there's some Zappa there, too. There is. Uh, I mean, the, the way he's able to have this sort of highly, highly sophisticated, composed, technically advanced music but retain a sense of humor and uh, have a lack of pretension is really important. Um, you know, it's it's hard to get complicated with your music and not be pretentious. And so I'm trying to avoid that in as many ways as I can. That's an interesting point. It, I, I hadn't really thought of it because because the music, you know, that I heard, and I'm, I'm certainly going to go out and, and hear more. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm an instant fan here. But so I, I didn't really think about that connection. But because there are certainly complicated elements to it, and it's unusual, and, and you have a, you know, you certainly have an eccentric, uh, melodic sense. Uh, but it's not pretentious. I mean, like I said, I was kind of reading along. Uh, you know, with the description of the scenes uh, from the CD package. And, I mean, I could just visualize, you know, everything, even though I, of course, have no idea what any of it looks like other than that one picture on the front, uh, the the sort of deranged milkman-looking creature right. there. And, uh, you know, but I, I, so I was able very easily to, to visualize, you know, all this going on and and – Besides the the melodic sense, though, is is rhythmically it it really really works. It's not as though there's the obvious thump 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 thump, you know, dance music or or pop music or whatever. But rhythmically, it really carries you along, and I, I imagine that it fits very well and is probably you know very I don't I don't want to say easy, but I mean is is very compatible with dance. The 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 dancers seemed to enjoy it. We got along well, um, and it was a, it was an interesting collaborative process where 
Like with with film, it's a top-down hierarchy where the director is in charge and everyone else tries to fulfill that vision. It makes sense. It's just the way it works. Uh, with with dance and in particular with this piece, it was pretty much a three-way collaboration where the artist was in charge of the visuals and I was in charge of the sound elements and then the choreographer was in charge of the dance. And we all fed each other collaboratively, but no one really could tell the other what to do. Um, but at the same time, as I was developing things, I would have the choreographer come in and listen and try to get a sense of which things were appealing to him and which things were less inspiring to him and try to try to create something that would be a lot of fun for him to choreograph too. Interesting. That very interesting. And probably very satisfying approach because it's because it is so collaborative. Yeah, it was it was a great balance of this I felt total ownership over the music, but at the same time had this sort of back and forth collaborative element which is much more like a small rock band than it is a larger multimedia collaboration like theater or film tend to be. The larger it gets, the harder it is to have that balanced creative approach. Right. Interesting. Really interesting stuff. Uh, Philip and Lisa, any any thoughts on all this? It's uh, it's pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm really, just, sorry, go ahead, Lisa. I'm really fascinated by collaborations between various types of art, so I think the whole the whole blending of the visual stuff and the dance and the music is just totally fascinating. And I can't imagine what kind of a challenge that must be from an artistic level to to just take part in all of that. Yeah, it's collaboration is always a tricky thing, and you can't get too set in any one way of doing things or, or any one process. Or just because your process normally works one way, that doesn't mean it's going to work for the other people. And so every time you find a new set of collaborators, you essentially have to work out your own, the, the specific to that project or that team, a, a, a process that's going to work for all three of you or all however many there are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was you're thinking, you know, I, I listened to uh, about three-quarters of this album this afternoon is uh, finally when I got to it, I'm afraid to say. And uh, it was it was amazing. I mean, we only I only managed to pull out two samples, and and they were pretty divergent, I think. But it, it was amazing how much range there is on this album. And so people listening may be thinking Eric's referring to sounds that aren't there. Um, no, they're, they're there. I just I just didn't grab them all. Uh, I think it'd be it'd be really fascinating to see this, you know, with the visuals, you know, on a DVD or something at least, if if we can't make it to where the ballet actually is, because I. I'd be really intrigued to see the visuals that go with some of these things. Oh, I think it just screams DVD. Uh, you yeah. know, absolutely. With the, between the the visuals and the surround sound aspect, I mean, that would be you know not the same thing as seeing it live, of course, but it would be a lot closer. Yeah, I I I, I hope it does get to the point that point. For, certainly, they'll have a DVD for the purposes of getting it to tour. But they're getting closer to the idea of releasing it so people can purchase it and download it and, and things like that. I, I have a question about your about how you compose, um, and, I, and I imagine it varies depending on what you're working on. Sure. But are are you more of a experimentalist where you kind of play around with things and then 
um, you know, kind of piece those together, or do you hear it in your head and then figure out how to create that in the real world? It's a, it's a little bit of both, and like you said, it's really, it does depend on the project, and it depends on uh, the timeline, too. Uh, sometimes you have those uh, moments <clears throat> where it, it comes to you, where you need a theme for a play or something like that, and you sit down and you play it and it's done the first time through. Uh, other times you try it a whole bunch of different ways and it, and it takes a while. So there are definitely times where I hear things in my head, then sit down and write them down. Um, there are other times where I'll just improvise at whatever instrument for a long time and then try to capture the ideas I like most. Um, there are, uh, a process that I like is is to capture as many short, tiny little ideas as I can in a short period of time without any editing because it's tough you know, when you start editing before you've actually created much. And so I'll just write down every idea I come, come up with and then go back and pull the strongest of them to make something out of. Very interesting. Well, I see we're, we're up against the, the end of the show, but that was terrific. I'm really glad we could have the extra time with you. It's really interesting stuff. And like I say, I'm, I am now absolutely a, uh, a converted fan. And if it counts for anything, man, I am agitating for that DVD. So you let the powers that be know. <laughs> That's right. I will That's let great. them know. That's great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Very, very interesting and and uh, really interesting music. And uh, congratulations on your success. Uh, you know, it must be very gratifying to be able to work in a you know in a pretty rarefied area, but be so successful at it. Yeah, I'm really lucky. I mean, I, I make my living, you know, writing, recording, and playing music, and that's all I do. And uh, so I'm very fortunate. That's cool. Well, it was great talking to you. Thanks, Thank and, you. and good luck. We hope to talk to you again. Thank you. Have a good night. Thanks. Well, the, the album is called Cult of Color. It is the soundtrack for ballet, but uh, it is also an amazingly uh, interesting and experimental uh, musical tour de force, I think it's fair to say. Uh, it's from Graham Reynolds and the Golden Arm Trio, as they're called. And you can find out more at GrahamReynolds.com. That's G-R-A-H-A-M-R-E-Y-N-O-L-D-S.com. We thank Graham for his time. And um, if you've reached the end of the show, it's time to say goodbye to you and all your friends, okay? Thanks again to uh, Matthew McDonald. Uh, no, actually, he's called and called and called and called. And thanks for taking time. We were talking with us earlier in the show and joining us in the family. And of course, as always, this is thanks to Lisa and Eric for hosting the show and making this time. And for the film that we can hear We broadcast live every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. If you feel the visit us live, please stay to my platform and watch a live video feed. In this live broadcast, we archive our always available online. Aloha. Uh-huh.